Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. choir and this is our song it's our word of reconciliation the gospel of Christ so amen and amen if you have your Bibles I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 10 the 10th chapter of the book of Acts and today we begin I guess you could call it a mini series of messages entitled, The Essentials of Being on Mission. The Essentials of Being on Mission. I want to take um, this text of Scripture, the 10th chapter of Acts, and we find 10 encouraging, challenging essentials that were in Peter's life as he won this man by the name of Cornelius to Christ and won his family to Christ. One of the most remarkable and pivotal chapters in the book of Acts. It was remarkable in the sense that um, a full-blooded Gentile came to Christ. Now, back then, that was uh, quite an ordeal. And... uh, It was a remarkable thing. But um, we find Peter in a unique place. I'm not going to give you all ten of these essentials today, uh, but I want to give you three, three of them. And I hope it will encourage you in terms of your mission and of the church's mission. You know, the church's mission is very simple. There's a whole lot of social problems that we could be about doing our best to solve that really are never going to be solved until Jesus comes back. But I want to tell you the church's mission is to go ye therefore and proclaim the gospel of Christ and baptize the converts to Christ in the name of the triune God, to immerse them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so they can be identified with the church and picture what Christ has done in their hearts 
And then disciple them, help them to grow so they too will have the confidence to share the gospel of Christ. That is the purpose of the church. There's no other purpose but that. And it is so easy to get off track, is it not? It's so easy to get off track. You wouldn't believe during the COVID pandemic, I'm not going to call it pressure because I'm just hard-headed enough to not have a lot of pressure when it comes to stuff like this. I know that um, Miss Tracy will agree with that. But uh, the influence to use the pulpit to push for vaccines. And then you had another bunch pushing for no vaccine. And so my stand was, is that's not the purpose of the church. Amen? Uh, I'm, a, I'm an old-time Baptist preacher. I'm not going to worry about... Uh, Vaccines. If you won't get one, get one. That's your business. But I'm not going to let you get up in First Baptist and give a testimony about how glorious it was. <laughs> our job is the gospel of Christ. Amen? Amen? That's our business. That's our business. And that's why we, we have Hoosier Mission. Because we're going to stay on task. We're going to stay on the business. And we don't want anything to distract from that. Nothing good to distract from it, nothing bad to distract from it, nothing in between to distract from it. And so I want to encourage you to be on mission, and I hope this text will encourage you to be on mission, but there's some essentials that have to, you have to be about. And I want to look at three of those essentials today. And we read the text, Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, who gave much alms, help, financial help to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on the angel in that vision, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now... Send men to the city of Joppa, modern-day Jaffa. Send them to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. In that brief section of this chapter, I see three of ten essentials for being on mission. Ten essentials that... You have to be about if you're going to be on mission. And I want to give you those three in this message today. First of all, the first essential, you must know, you must know that people without Jesus 
are lost in their sin. And they are in need of a Savior. People without Christ are lost in their sin. Now this man was a wonderful man, I'm sure. But I'm going to show you where he was lost and without Christ. There's an old book that was published in 1995 entitled uh, uh, Out of Their Faces and Into Their Shoes. It was written by John Cramp. And uh, it's a, really a, a good book. It's once again entitled Out of Their Faces and Into Their Shoes, How to Understand the Spirituality of Lost People and give them directions to God. In that book, he coined a term called lostology, the study of lostness, the study of what being without Jesus looks like on planet Earth. And he started out in this book by giving a quiz. It was a six-question quiz. And I'm going to give you the quiz today. Now, don't answer out loud. You don't have to answer out loud, first of all, because these questions are rhetorical, and second of all, you might be wrong and you'll be embarrassed. <laughs> but these are true and false questions. So answer in your mind. Number one, true or false, lost people are miserable. Number two, felt needs plague lost people. They have a lot of needs. They feel like they have a lot of needs, and it plagues them. Number three, lost people struggle to build relationships. Number four, nothing lost people do fills their empty lives with meaning. Next, true or false, aware of their sin, lost people run from God. And number six, lost people fear death and worry about eternity. The answer to the question, all of them, is false. I have met very few lost people that are described here. And I know a lot of lost people. I know a lot of lost people in our town. And most of them, if not all of them that I no, I, I, I racked my brain this morning trying to find one, think of one that, that fits this description and couldn't think of a single one of them. They're not miserable. They're happy. They're laughing at Horn Island right now. Or they're enjoying a church service here at First Baptist Church. They're not miserable. Felt needs don't plague them. They have everything they need, especially here in America. They have everything they need. They're 
They don't struggle to build relationships. Many of them have wonderful, happy relationships. Get along with their boss, good marriages, proud of their children, love their grandchildren. Their lives have meaning. They have a plan for life. They know they're not perfect, but they're not running from God. As a matter of fact, many of them would tell you God's pleased with them. And they're not afraid to die, and they don't worry about eternity. Believe it or not, I've met Christians who all these things are true of. Now that's, that's uh, inserted good preaching, whether you like it or not. But there's some Christians that this meets to. But not all, thank the Lord. And, and not all lost people. As a matter of fact, I'd say most people, this is, these things are not true. They were not true in the life of this centurion. Look at this centurion we've been talking about. First of all, he was an accomplished person. He had great accomplishments. A centurion was an officer in the Roman army who was in charge of a hundred men. All in all, there are seven different centurions referred to in the Scripture. If I counted right, we only know two of them by name. This one and the one who took Paul to Rome. And every one of them, every one of the centurions have wonderful, good qualities about them. They are all noble men. All of them are. As a matter of fact, historians tell us that centurions were the best men of the Roman army. Good, noble men. The best of the Roman army. So all the centurions in Scripture, you can find noble traits. You can point your children to them and say, there is a good man with a hard job in a harsh world, but he's a good man. There's noble things about him. All, this, this man, this particular centurion, was a very devout man. He was pious, and he did his duty with honor and dignity. He was... A reverent man. He had respect for God. As a matter of fact, he was more than likely what we would call a God-fearer. If you were not Jewish back then, or you, and you were a Gentile, you could be a seeker, one who sought after to know God, and maybe believed in, in, in the Lord, maybe believed about the God of the Jews, what you heard, and you became a God-fearer, and you had respect and reverence for God. This man was such as that. He knew that God was one who did not like wrongdoing. He perceived that the one true God, the God of the Jews, was one who would bless good, well-doing. He was a God-fearer. He was a good husband and a good father. By example, he taught his children of duty and honor and dignity and, and God. The Bible says 
He feared God with all his house. Verse 2. He was a very generous man. He gave much to the people. The people probably indicates the Jewish people. And he was a praying man. He routinely prayed. He practiced the habit of prayer. But he was lost. He didn't have Jesus as his Savior. Christ was not in his heart. There was no relationship with God. There was reverence for God. There was, there was uh, motions toward God. There was feelings toward God. But there was no relationship with God. God loved him, but he was lost without Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that God reached out to him. God's will was that he be saved. And God reached out to him. And he even told him in, in verse 4, he said, Look, your, your prayers and your alms, they've gotten God's heart. God sees your heart. And he sees that you're seeking him. And, and Jesus would tell us and, and did tell us in the Gospels, You seek, you shall find. And God is going to reveal himself. But I want to tell you, if the text, if Acts chapter 10 is only... Five or six or even seven verses long. Even after Peter arrives, you could stretch it out a little bit. And it ends right there. We would say, wow, what a centurion. I wish we had him in our army. I wish we had him in my neighborhood. Wow, what a good church member he would, meet, he would make. But if he died before he got down to the end of the chapter, he would be in hell today. He would be in hell. He was lost. You have to know, you have to know that the Word of God teaches us that Jesus is the only way because he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. You have to know that. Goodness, generosity, kindness, decency, morality do not merit salvation and forgiveness of sin. They make it nice. They make us likable. But apart from Jesus, this man would have died and gone to hell. Now there is a problem in the local churches today across the country. And that is that the average member now either does not believe what I'm telling you, either does not believe that Cornelius would be in hell if the text stopped short. Or they choose to ignore that part. Or they choose to assume that just because he prays, just because he gives his alms, just because he is a generous man, just because he is well-liked and devout and honorable and has a wonderful family, just because he's got to be heaven-bound. 
He's got to be, and, and the assumption is made. But I want to tell you, you must know if you're going to be on mission, and as a matter of fact, it is a motivating factor to be on mission. This motivates you to be on mission. That people, regardless of their moral uprightness or their social standing or their dignity, without Jesus Christ, they're lost in their sin. They are not forgiven of their sin. They will stand before God, not in grace, but as the judge of all the earth. That's it. Peter knew that. That's why he would go. Peter knew that. And so number one, you must know that people without Jesus are lost without Christ. The second essential, you must have confidence that before the Holy Spirit puts you to work, he is at work. Before the Holy Spirit puts you to work, He is at work. Before Peter ever showed up, before Peter ever showed up, the Spirit of God, God was at work in the life and heart of Cornelius. It's a wonderful truth. I love it. He saw a vision. And in the vision, this angel come. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God at work on Cornelius' heart. He said, Peter, I'm not going to send you in there unless I first have bombed the beaches. The Navy's going to bomb the beaches, and Peter, you're going to be the Marine. I'm going to do my work before you ever show up, Peter. Isn't that humbling that God says, I'm working before I ever put you to work because you simply can't do the job? Amen. You don't have what it takes, Peter. So I'm going to send in the angels. I'm going to send in the vision. Now, do I believe that uh, Cornelius saw a vision and had some angels working on him and, and a dream and all that? I sure do. I believe exactly what the Bible says. And let me tell you, if a lost man came to me and said, I saw a vision. I'm not going to say, well, buddy, we need to get your theology right before you can be saved. No, listen, God can use any means he wants to convince a person they need to be saved. And I'm happy when it happens. Amen? I'm happy when it happens. And so the Holy Spirit was at work. More than likely, when you go and begin to share the gospel with your mission. I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is the one who has done his work. He goes before you. I have seen it and experienced it many, many times through the years. Every time I have ever led anybody to Jesus, I walk away in excitement and on cloud nine, there's nothing like it in the world to open up a New Testament and share with somebody how to be saved. And they say, yes, I want to be saved. And you hear them call on the name of the Lord, and God saves them right there. And you just get on, 
You just get on cloud nine. You start, I mean, if you never experienced it, get on mission and we'll get you there. Amen. I mean, get the, it's the most exciting thing in the world. It really is. I'd give up deer hunting for it. I'd give up Taco Tuesday for it. Amen. I'd give up the ministry for it. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. And part of the wonder and the thrill of it is to see God's work beforehand and during and after. Amen. I've never, ever, ever walked away saying, boy, I blew it because I knew the Holy Spirit was with me. It's wonderful. Peter, in chapter 10, experienced that. Now, here, here's something unique. Did you, did you catch it? He didn't say to Peter, Peter, you go to Cornelius. He sent Cornelius to Peter. Isn't it wonderful when, when they come to us? I love it when they come to us. Boy, I've got some problems. I, I need your help. Well, how do you know you have problems? I don't know. I'll tell you how you know the Holy Spirit done told you you got problems. Amen. Y'all might remember two of our wonderful members in heaven now. They're up in heaven. We got members in heaven. And they're in the church in heaven. We, we, they transferred their letter to heaven. Art and Sylvia Galuski. Remember Brother Art and Miss Sylvia? You met them. If you, came in, if you ever came in through this door, you met Miss Sylvia. My family met Art and Sylvia at the uh, Japanese restaurant the, where they cooked for you on the hibachi tables. They had one open up in town, and the kids wanted to go, and I wanted to go, and so off we went. And we got the very first table, the very first cooking event in that restaurant. Me and my two kids and sweet wife, and Art and Sylvia Galuski. And we started cutting up and laughing and having a good time. I did my typical dad joke. You know when they put that grease on there and it flames up? You know what I'm talking about? I always say, and the kids hate it. Tracy loves it. <laughs> but I always say, oh, it burnt my hair. It burnt my hair off, you know. And, and the chef looks at me like, hmm. But anyway... I did all that, and then we got our meal, and I looked at them, and I said, Ma'am and sir, we always pray before we eat. Can we, would you join us in prayer? And they did. And I introduced myself, told them who we were, and the next Sunday they showed up to church. And the next Sunday they showed up to church. And the next Sunday they showed up to church. And then after about a month to come to church, they call up here wanting to come see me. And I said, well, come on, brother. We'd love to see you. Come on. And we sat down right there on that front pew, right there, always a sacred place, right there. And Sylvia gave her testimony of receiving Christ when she was younger. And then Art said, well, I, I don't think I'm a Christian. He said, but I hear you people around here pray, and you're, you talk to him like he's your best friend. How do I get in on that? 
and I shared the gospel with him. And he got to say, see, God brought him to us. But sometimes we got to go, most of the time, we got to go to them. The Great Commission is for us to go to them. And we make a mistake. We make a mistake if we sit around waiting for them. And as a matter of fact, I've learned this about being a pastor for these years. If you start going to them, God will start bringing them to you. We've seen that in Who's Your Mission? He'll start bringing them to you. Well, where did that lost person come from? I don't know. We were out looking for somebody else. Here they come. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit, God had prepared Cornelius before Peter ever got on involved. And let me share with you how the Holy Spirit does it. John chapter 16, listen to this. I think that the scripture's on the screen. It is. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Now look, does Jesus always tell you the truth? But here he said, I'm telling you the truth. In other words, this is a truth that he always tells, but this is a truth you need to believe and know. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. He will reprove the world of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you will see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit is at work before you ever get there. Before you ever get there. Before you ever were burdened with one of these ping-pong balls. Before you were ever burdened for your mission, the Holy Spirit has already working. That'll give you some confidence, won't it? And how does the Holy Spirit do it? He does what we cannot do, and He does what we don't need to do. First of all, he reproves the world of sin. The word reprove means to expose. It means to uh, bring to light. He will show people their sin. Now, I believe in Bible preaching. And if we were preaching from a, a text that addresses a sin, we need to address it from the Word of God. But that is our boundary right there. What the Word of God says about sin. And we need to let the Holy Spirit do the exposing. And I'll tell you how you know when the Holy Spirit has done the exposing. They get, the, the person, the mission, gets a little nervous. They get a little antsy about it. They might react to you and take it out on you, but they know they're sinners because wouldn't you agree with me when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, convinces you of something, wouldn't you agree that you are convinced? And he brings to light their sin. He shows people their sin. Namely... 
The sin of unbelief. The sin of no saving faith in Christ. You see, the Bible says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whosoever doth not believe is condemned already. He shows them what it really means to believe in Jesus and what it really means to be in sin. The second thing the Holy Spirit does for them, before you ever get there, He convinces them or reproves them of righteousness. When Jesus walked among men, they saw the righteousness of God right in front of them. When they brought that woman called in adultery, and Jesus forgave her and said, Go and sin no more. Those Pharisees who brought her there that day saw the righteousness of God. In Jesus. That's what they saw. When they listened to him preach the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse, or when they heard him give the parables of the kingdom, or when Nicodemus came to him by night, they were convinced and they saw the righteousness of Jesus. But Jesus ascended to the Father. He's not here physically anymore. So the Holy Spirit convinces people of the righteousness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does it through the Word of God and your testimony. Do you hear me? He does it from the Word of God and your testimony. See how important it is to live right? And to be walking in the Spirit so people can see the difference Jesus makes in attitude, in action, in the way you respond to things. And so the Holy Spirit exposes people's sin. He exposes the righteousness of Jesus to them. And also... He exposes the judgment of God to them. He says of judgment in our text in John. Now this is not talking about the judgment to come. This is talking about the judgment on the cross. And it's talking about the condemnation of one's heart as a result of the cross. It was at the cross where Satan was doomed. When the Holy Spirit convicts someone of sin and they see their doom, they see their doom in light of the cross, they meet the judgment as the world and Satan, and they know it. The lost will realize there is nothing they can do except come to Christ for deliverance from judgment and pardon from sin. They see that just like Satan, they're doomed. But unlike Satan, Jesus died for them. You can never win anybody to Jesus without the message of the cross. Nor can you win them to Jesus without the message of the grave. 
because I want to tell you what, you don't bury living people. Jesus died indeed for our sins and was buried. And you cannot win anybody to Jesus without the resurrection. As a matter of fact, isn't that the gospel? Didn't Paul say, I declare unto you the gospel that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again. That is the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit goes before you. Dear friend, if you have a mission represented by a white ping pong ball today, I want to tell you the Holy Spirit will go before you and say you are a sinner alienated from God, an offense to God because of your position. You are a sinner, Cornelius. And you are unlike Jesus who is righteous. And you are under his judgment. But there's a way out. There's a way of forgiveness. And they get desperate. In their heart, they get desperate. (laughs) And that's when old Peter shows up. Amen. And says, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. Amen. Now, look, folks, I'm going to preach a little bit. I get weary of these Christians who've been in church all their lives. They say, I just don't know what to say. What do you mean you don't know what to say? I just preached to you what to say. Amen. You've been knowing the gospel since the day you were saved. You know what to say. Amen. Amen. You know what to say. Jesus died for your sin. He took your judgment. You're, You're crying right now. You're upset right now because the Holy Spirit says you're guilty. And you know it. I'm not condemning you. I'm not telling you you're guilty. You know it in your heart you're guilty. And, and, but there's a way. Jesus took your guilt on the cross, and you tell him about the cross. And you tell him he was dead and buried, and he rose again the third day. And if they believe the gospel and call on the name of the Lord, you know what? Their white ball turns to orange. Amen. And so I want to tell you, you have to realize and have confidence in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Folks, this is why we pray. This is why we pray for the missions. We can have confidence that God's going to hear our prayer. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to do His work. To do His work. Man, when you get your mission down and you pray for them, this is what you pray. Holy Spirit of God, sick them. Amen. I pray that. Sick them, Lord. Get after them. The great preacher Spurgeon said, The Holy Spirit is the holy hound of heaven. That's what he said. Sick them. Get after them. Mess them up, Lord. Mess them up. And so you must know and have confidence that the Holy Spirit of God goes before you. That's the most wonderful thing about it. The most wonderful thing about it. And incidentally, we'll talk about this next week, I believe, that he just opens the door for you to step right in. He just says, okay, I've done my work, and and they're primed. They're ready. Just you got to go. And the only way you can mess up is not go. The only way you can mess up is be quiet. 
Isn't that something? Whew. Number three, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is vital. You cannot be on mission without the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says, Go call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now let me share something with you about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. We've already talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the lost, how he works on the lost. But let me just give you briefly the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you and to me who are saved. First of all, all Christians... Every Christian without exception has been baptized by the Holy Spirit without exception. You don't get saved and then later on get baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's not a scriptural doctrine. Because every single time in Paul's epistles, when he speaks of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he writes to believers in the past tense. It is already done. When you got saved, many things took place. And one of the many things that took place was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He wrote to, first, to the Corinthian church which was struggling with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he said, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. Past tense and always past tense. The moment you got saved, you were baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And it's pictured when you do water baptism. You see? You were baptized into the body of Christ. Second, all Christians, now this is not a thorough doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but all Christians are anointed by the Holy Spirit. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now he which has established us with you in Christ, the Holy Spirit, and hath anointed us. You have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit means that you are saved in Christ. The anointing of the Holy Spirit means that you are set apart for Christ. You are anointed. Now, I love people praying for me. If you pray for me, thank you. I know many of you do. You, you tell me often, you pray for me every day as your pastor. I cannot thank you enough. And I appreciate your prayers. But sometimes we pray for somebody and we say, Lord, anoint them. Well, I want to tell you what, if I'm not anointed by the time I get up here, it's too late. Because I got anointed the day I got saved. He set me apart with a set of spiritual gifts or one spiritual gift to do for him for his glory. And when you got saved, he set you apart, anointed you by setting you apart for a gift or maybe more than one. I know people have more than one to do for him. So the baptism says you're saved. The anointing says you're set apart to do for him, for his glory in the church. But while all Christians have been baptized, 
by the Spirit. And all Christians have been anointed by the Spirit. Every Christian needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, when the Bible talks about the fullness and being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a present tense verb. You are baptized and you are anointed and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But this morning, you might have stumped your toe and that old fleshly nature got that attitude going on. Or you're already sitting there mad at something I said already. And that attitude has quenched the Holy Spirit. And you've poured out the Holy Spirit a little bit. And you filled it up with your own sinful pride in flesh. And you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul told us in the book of Ephesians, And be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled means there's no room for anything else. Nothing about you, nothing about me, nothing about anybody else, but you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It means to be completely obedient to the Holy Spirit. And when we're not, we quench Him. And we need to confess that and say to our Heavenly Father, Father, I have offended you. I'm sorry. My fellowship with you is broken. My relationship because of the baptism of the Spirit is always intact, but my fellowship is broken. Fill me with your Spirit. I yield to you and obey you. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you what, as a result of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit and the joy and the eagerness to obey God. Peter was filled three times with the Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Acts. Wouldn't you think from time to time the old boy needed it? Study Peter, and you see he's a lot like all of us. He, he needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit sometimes because he quenched the Spirit. But in the book of Acts three times, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And all three times... God used Peter in a tremendous way. All three times the gospel was proclaimed by him because Jesus had promised, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. That's one of the evidences of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is being a witness and being on mission and being sensitive to the lost and wanting to win them to Christ. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, great things happen. God can use you. God can use you. And so those are three of the ten essentials. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe people without Jesus are lost? Not their morality. See, we, we, we look at it wrong. We say, oh, they're such a good person, they must be saved. No, no. We, we click wrong. Oh, I'm sure they're saved. Oh, uh, they, they, they do right. No, the question is, do you know that without Jesus, regardless of their goodness and kindness and love and everything that's noble and good in humanity, without Jesus Christ, they're lost and are dying and going to hell unless they come to Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Dear friend, are you a Cornelius? You're a good person. 
compared to many others. You're here today, but you're lost without Jesus. You've never come to Jesus for salvation. You've never had a point in time, a place where, and a time when you said, Lord, you talked, you had a conversation with God. I'm a sinner, Lord. I need you as my Savior. And you called upon him to save you, believing that he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about your sin and judgment upon you and the need of a Savior? Dear Christian, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you surrendered to Jesus this morning? Are you surrendered to Jesus? Do you meet these three essentials? I pray you do. I pray you do. The invitation is very simple today. If you have a decision that you need to make public to obey the Lord, we're here to help. Cole and I will be standing right here to receive you. We're not, hold on, don't, don't listen to me. The invitation may be for you. Don't be getting ready to go. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is there an area of your life where you have been disobedient? It might be your stewardship. It might be your witness. It might be your attitude, the way you've looked at other people, approached other people. It might be in your church attendance. It might be in your involvement in mission. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you need to confess that sin and ask God to restore your fellowship with Him? That's the invitation for you to do it. You don't have to come talk to me or Cole. You can do it right there. You can do it right now. If God is leading you and convicting you, you need to do so. Any decision that you need to make for the glory of God, and you need help, and you need encouragement, and you need prayer, we're here. You just walk down the aisle and say, this is what I need. This is what God is leading me to do. Let's stand for our dismissal. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com. 